0: There's a lot of secrets sometimes we have to keep here in True North, things like Christmas at the Disney, things like the revival teams. There's a lot of uh, secrets we have to keep, and that's all a good thing because those secrets are not made to be kept secrets, you know? Some of the secrets that you have that you tell people that you don't want to be shared, sometimes those secrets are the type of secrets that you don't want anyone ever finding out about. There's another type of secrets like... The Revival Teams and the True North merch and all that different stuff that is made to be secret for a short amount of time. And then, when the time comes, it's time to tell everyone about it. Well, the Bible talks about a lot of different types of secrets that God actually has. And the text we're going to look at this morning in Ephesians says that God has a big secret that he kept for a long time. It's actually not called a secret. The word in the text is called a mystery. When you hear the word mystery, it's, I guess, appropriate we're talking about that in October, the month of mystery and things like that, right? Where a mystery in the Bible is actually something where God has a plan or a thing that he like makes, a big plan, a secret that he forms just to share with everybody else. In the Bible, there's a lot of different types of secrets like that, but there's one big one, and it's the one that Paul's gonna talk about. It's the one we've been studying in the book of Ephesians. Really, it's how God has this big plan to save the world. If you ever find a plan that is big enough to say it's saving the world, then that's definitely a plan that we should look at and care about. And it's a plan that involves every last one of us. So I want you to grab a Bible, look at Ephesians chapter 3 with me, and I think that you're going to be impressed when you see how big this plan is that God has to save people. Paul's life mission as an evangelist and as an apostle is not too different than what he calls ours to be because his job was to share this secret. He was like an advertiser or someone that was spreading the news about something. That was his life mission. And the reality is, if we look at this text and we walk away with any other impression that our life should be different, I think we're reading this wrong. This text is trying to encourage you and me that our life should be all about what Paul's life was about, sharing God's big secret. So if you're in Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 1. It says, for this reason, after he just explained how Jews and Gentiles are now together in the church, which is a big, mind-blowing thing we talked about last time, right? That you could have these two groups of people who hated each other, that now they're friends. It says, because of that, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Prisoner of Christ Jesus sounds like Jesus is the one who's holding him captive. That's not what he's trying to say. This is trying to say that um, he is a prisoner in a Roman prison because of Christ Jesus. Not, he's, not that Jesus is holding him captive, but he's a prisoner in Rome because of Jesus. That's why he's in jail. He says, and not just for Jesus, but also on behalf of you Gentiles. So there's something that Paul did that crossed the line with people, so much so they got people so mad at him that they decided to put him in jail. In the book of Acts, Paul was sharing the gospel with lots of different types of people. And There was a misunderstanding, actually, in the book of Acts because it says that Paul brought these people to the temple. Some of them were Jews. Some of them were Gentiles. But they accused him of bringing Gentiles past that that, um, sign that we talked about a couple weeks ago, past that sign which says, hey, if you get caught behind this sign and you're not a Jew, you're going to die. People accused him of that, and that's actually the reason, humanly speaking, why he's in jail. So what he's trying to explain is, I've been serving you Gentiles. I've been sharing the gospel with people for a long time. Look at verse 2. is assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. The word stewardship in the Bible talks about, it's, it's like imagine someone gives you $10 million and then says, go make more money with this $10 million. Go invest it. Go, go buy real estate. Go buy the stock market. Go Do things to make more money. And then, you know, when I come back, let's say, in you know, 20 years, I want to have a good return. That's a stewardship. If someone gave you a big trust. And that's what he's saying here. The gospel is the stewardship that was given to him. What is Paul supposed to do with the gospel that he's been given from God? Well, he's supposed to share it. He's supposed to invest it, so to speak. He's supposed to get it out there and tell people about it. Verse number three says, how, this is describing his stewardship, how the mystery, the mystery, God's big secret, his plan. Was made known to me by revelation. Right? That's not by reading the book of Revelation. Revelation means God revealing truth to him. So think about this. The truth that you know about God was not revealed directly to you. Right? You, you know that Jesus is God. You know that God created the world. You know things about God, right? How do you know that? You know that indirectly, not directly. God didn't come to you and tell you. What Paul's saying is God directly told me things so he is on a different plane here he he's an apostle right god comes in and has conversations with paul so he's basically trying to say you should trust what i'm saying here because god and i have had conversations just like moses just like elijah just like the prophets of the old testament paul has been made known this mystery by revelation is as i have written briefly verse number four says when you read this you can perceive my insight into the mystery of this big secret plan of christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been made, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What he's saying is like, there was a time, if you lived in the Old Testament, let's say you lived in the time of David. Okay? He's the king, and you know some things about God. And you actually know some things about the mystery of God. You know that God created the world. You know that, call, that God called Abraham to have a son named Isaac. You know that God led the Israelites out of Egypt through the wilderness, and into Israel, you know that the people of Israel did not obey God. Like, you knew a lot of things about God's plan. But, would you, if you lived at David's time, King David's time, would you know as much as you know right now? The answer is no. You wouldn't know as much. You know parts, but you wouldn't know all of it. What Paul is saying is, guys, God has revealed the big plan to us. He used to show us little parts and little pieces, but guess what? Now we can see the big picture of what God is doing. And, that's important because that's what God's doing with the world. But guess what? Now it's your job to go take that message and share it with people. That's a different way for you to view inviting people to church or evangelism. It's a different way of view it. It's not just, hey, invite people to church. You know, get them to know your friends. Maybe, the, you know, they'll want to come to church. That's good. But this is a bigger perspective on that. You're not just kind of bringing people to a social club. You're telling people God's big plan with the world that he did not reveal all at once. But now he's revealed to people like Paul. And now we have it here in the word through the apostles and prophets. Look at verse number six. He explains, this is the best explanation for what this mystery is. Verse number six says, this mystery, this secret, is that the Gentiles, the people who are not Jewish, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Basically, saying it doesn't matter who your parents are, you can be included in what God is doing. It doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter where you come from. Now you can be a part of this big thing that God's doing. That's the mystery. That was God's plan all along, that He didn't reveal all at once. The, the theological term is progressive revelation. That God revealed part of this plan one part at a time. Just like when you watch a TV show and you get episode after episode. Then there's a cliffhanger, right? And then the most important thing comes at the end. And then the next episode comes. And now you know more of the story. What Paul's saying is we have the story now. Now, do we know every last thing that's going to happen? No, we don't. But we have the big picture now. God has explained it to us. Look at verse number seven. He says, this message, this mystery of this gospel, I was made a minister. Minister means a servant. Or a person who takes something and delivers it. Technically, this word that you have right there is minister. When you see that, you might think of like a preacher or someone who works in a church or, you know, someone like that. That's not what this means. In fact, if you were hearing this for the first time, if you're in Ephesian hearing this, a, a minister is more like a, a waiter or a waitress or a, a host or someone who brings food to other people. That's a minister. That's a servant. So what he's saying is, it's like I'm the waiter in this big restaurant that God has. There's people at the tables who need food, and God has assigned me to take this and put it on their plate. Whether they eat it or not, whether they accept it or not, that's a different story. But it's my job to deliver this message. The reason this is an important text for you and me is because it's not just Paul's job. Although this text is very clear about Paul's apostleship, and there's a lot of theological truth that's built into this. But more than that... If you read this text as a Christian, I hope you realize it's your job, too. It's my job, too. You're a waiter. You're a waitress in God's restaurant, and you're there to deliver the food for people. You're there to deliver the message, not to change the message, not to take parts out and say, I don't think they're going to like this part. No, but to deliver the the meal, so to speak, of the gospel. He says, all of this was given by God's grace, middle verse 7, which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about what he's saying there. He's saying, God made me the delivery man. He made me the waiter. He made me the person bringing the food of what? Of the single greatest and most important message in the entire world. That's what I am. That's who he is as an apostle. And guess what? If you're a Christian, that's what you are as a person who shares God's truth with other people. You're a delivery person of the greatest information, the greatest message, the most life-changing thing that could ever be created because this was created by God who creates all things. And it says all of this was to show God's amazing wisdom. What that means is, imagine how else God could have done this. Do you realize that if God wanted to save the world, there were easier ways to save the world than how he did it? Do you realize that if he wanted to tell people the gospel, there's a lot easier ways for him to tell people? There's ways that he could do it himself, but here's what God does. God delegates that task to you and to me so that we now become a part of what God's doing, and he includes us even though we are a lot less competent than he is. He could do a lot better himself, but he includes us, which is why Paul says, here's what my entire life mission is about, just telling people God's message to them. Not some weird individualized, like, okay, you're going to grow up to be this, or you're going to grow up to be that. No, the big message. The big message that there's a God, that he created this world, that we fell into sin, that we're separated from him because of our sin, that each and every one of us choose to do what's wrong, that God was so loving and so kind that in himself, he made a solution. He came down himself, Jesus Christ, the God-man. He came, he lived a perfect life that you failed to live and that I failed to live. And then he died and suffered in your place where you should have died and suffered, but he suffered instead. Then he rose again, defeating death, conquering it forever for everyone who puts their trust in him. Now he calls you and he calls me and he calls everyone else to turn from their sin, turn to him and trust in Jesus for salvation. That's the big message that's the gospel. And that's the message. And a lot of you hear that, and you're like, okay, yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that. Okay, do you understand that that is the single greatest message in the world, and you have been privileged to not only have that message, not only be saved by that message, but to be a part of sharing that message. That's what this text is all about. It should get you fired up. This should make you think like, Paul, I want everything in my life to be all about this. This is all of it, which is show God's amazing wisdom. In verse 12, I'll just Continue the passage, it says, in whom, in Jesus, we now have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart. Don't be discouraged over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul's in jail, and there's a temptation for these Christians to think, I don't know if this is a good path for me. I don't know if I should be an evangelist because I might end up like Paul. He's in jail. And by the way, if God is gonna save the world through this message, Is he really doing that good of a job if Paul's in jail? Like, shouldn't he be going everywhere, telling everyone? But now, no, 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 he's in jail. He's been in jail for up to two years at this point. Is God actually winning? Is this something that I should keep doing with my life? He says, don't be discouraged. Me in jail right now suffering is not some setback. It's not something that God didn't know about. No, it was something that God had planned from all eternity, and he was going to use. And the rest of the Bible talks about how God used this very imprisonment to advance the gospel. These 13 verses should be helpful for you as you think about what your life mission is all about. Your life mission is not about being popular or successful or athletic or good at whatever you're good at. It's not about having a lot of kids. It's not about living a fancy lifestyle. That's not what your life is about if you're a Christian. Your life is about one thing, the one thing that Paul's life is about, sharing this message with the world. That's what it's about. That's what Ephesians 3 is about. We have the privilege of sharing God's secret, but the problem, I think, for many of us is we've heard the gospel, we know the gospel. Some people today might not know the gospel, but many of you have heard it, and you're not impressed by it. It's old news to you. It's what you've heard a lot. You heard when you were a kid. You heard when you were a teenager. You heard so many times this amazing message, but it probably, for many of us, is not very appreciated in our hearts. So I want you to write this down for point number one. I want you to appreciate God's master plan of salvation. Like this big thing that God is doing, I want you to appreciate it. Step back. Look at it. See it in a new way this morning. Stop worrying about what you're going to do after lunch. Stop worrying. After service. Lunch is the first thing you're probably doing after service. Stop worrying about your homework. Stop worrying about your school. Stop worrying about all that stuff. Just take a minute this morning and zoom out and look at what God's doing. It reminds me of those infinite drawings. Have you ever seen those, those infinite zoom drawings? where, like, they'll zoom out from, like, a drawing, and that little drawing was, like, a part of a tiny little part of a bigger drawing, and then you zoom out even more, and then that, that little drawing that was a big drawing now is a tiny little part, and they keep zooming out and zooming out, and then you see, like, another scene and another scene. You can only do it now because of, like, I don't know, these these illustrator apps that like you can infinitely zoom in and infinitely zoom out but like if you ever you should look them up infinite zoom pictures they're, they're really cool and they're usually videos the way they're shown to you because it's someone like zooming out zooming out zooming out and you see more and more of this picture and then you realize the little part that you thought was so impressive is just a tiny little part and the big thing that this artist created it's not much different than what Paul is saying he's saying you know when I zoom out on my life it's not about the fact that I'm in jail It's not about the fact that, you know, I don't like my circumstances right now. My life, if I really just zoom out and look at the whole thing, my life is about this big thing that God is doing. And I'm just a tiny little part in that. He says this mystery, this grand plan is not something that God is making up on the fly. We already talked about that, but the very first passage in Ephesians we looked at was all about how God has picked people. He's elected people. He's had this plan from before creation, from before he made the world. Like, he set up this plan. He drew the picture, so to speak. And then he let us see it little by little. And that's why every day we see more and more of what God's doing in the world, right? Because we see what happens out there. But one thing that's important to know is that this is already predetermined in the sense that God's plan, he set at the beginning. And now we're in God's big master plan. And along the way, what he did was he would show people more and more of what he was doing. And the big thing that this text is getting at is not necessarily that people would be saved, although that's true. The big thing that this text in Ephesians 2 and 3 are really talking about is that Jews and Gentiles could be together. Do You know that the Bible from the beginning starts telling the Jewish people that Gentiles are going to be included? Yeah, from the very beginning. And I'm talking about like the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, right after God promised Abraham that he would have this great nation come from him. So there are no Jewish people yet, right? There's just Abraham. And he says, Not only is a great nation going to come from you, but verse 3, this is God speaking to Abraham I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's going to do something. Through Abraham to affect every family on earth. What is he talking about? And you can look at that and say, "Hmm, I don't know. Like, is it that you know there are some Jewish people that did good things for the world? I don't think that's what it's talking about. I think what he's saying is someone's going to come from the line of Abraham and change the world and bless every family there. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Christ. Right? The Bible goes on. In fact, in the book of Galatians, Galatians three eight, Paul explains the passage I just quoted. He explains that passage. He says and the scripture foreseen that god would justify the gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to abraham it's like god was giving this information to abraham it didn't make sense to everyone at the time but now we look back and say that's exactly what god was doing and paul says this he says next he says he preached the gospel god preached the gospel beforehand to abraham saying in you shall all the nations be blessed so then those who are of faith are blessed along with abraham the man of faith So if you trust in Jesus this morning, that means you're a person of faith, is what this text is saying. And that means that all the promises and plans that were made to them back then, now guess what? We get to be included in some of that stuff. We get to be included in this salvation plan that God has. That's a big deal. The Bible also says in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 49, verse six, God speaks, he says, is it too light of a thing that you should be my servant and to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring them back, the preserved of Israel. Saying, is it is it too small of a thing that God is going to save his own people? He says, not just that. It's my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And I will make you a light for the nations. He's talking about this servant. And if you've been reading Isaiah, you know, like, who's the servant? Is that Israel? Is that Jesus? Is that the church? Who's who's the servant? Right? You read that and there's some debate. But the idea is, God says, I'm going to make this thing, this servant, a light to the to the Gentiles, to the nations. Point is, there are going to be people from all over the world who trust in Jesus and get brought to God because of what Jesus does, including people like us, people on the other side of the world 2,000 years later. Not just 2,000 years from Isaiah, 2,700 years after Isaiah writes, guess what? People in this room are being saved. Like, think about what God's doing. That's a huge thing that God is doing, and he gets to include us in that, and you get to be a part of that this great plan of Jews and Gentiles should blow your mind, right? There are some passages in the New Testament that literally say, hey, step back and have your mind blown. One of them is Romans chapter 11. In Romans 11, Paul explains that, hey, you know what? There was a reason why the Jewish people did not embrace Jesus. Think, think about this. It was all a part of God's plan. Romans 11:12 12 says, now if their sin, their trespass, the trespass of these Jewish people means riches for the world. And if their failure means riches for the Gentiles. How much more will the full inclusion be? That's saying, because the Jews decided, I'm not embracing Jesus, we're not going you're not our king, and they crucified him. Guess what that did for the rest of the world? That opened up a way of salvation. Think about it. If the Jews don't reject Jesus, Jesus doesn't die on the cross. He doesn't die for our sins, and guess what? You and I are stuck in our sins. So in this great plan, it's like these people reject Jesus, And he says, if their rejection of Jesus means that we get to be made more rich, so to speak, rich in Christ because of this, what's it going to be like when they embrace him again? He says later in verse 15, he says, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the nations, of people like us, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Right? This is why it's kind of interesting, but the Bible does teach this, that the only thing waiting and keeping God's final plans from coming to fruition is his people embracing him right, all the last people that God has chosen, that's the thing that's keeping his people from being with him forever, right? once the last person trusts in Christ, that's it, right, that's what's keeping us from the end, that's why Romans eleven thirty three says, after all that, like, this, this is a crazy big plan that God created, Romans eleven thirty three says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable, his ways, Romans 11, 33. More than that, God's plan should impress you because how he did it, right? He didn't just make this great plan and just like set it into motion. know he, he's been involved on every part of the process. Galatians 4, verse 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Like God's plan is so big, that he says, no, I am personally going to involve myself. I am going to come to earth, and I'm going to be a baby. Like, you ever think about how crazy that is? I'm glad we talked about Christmas this morning. Christmas at the Disney's coming up. right? That's good. Um, but have you ever thought, maybe if you haven't held a baby in a while, um, maybe you haven't thought this, but you, you hold a baby, you look at a baby, and you think God was one of these? Like, these babies are helpless. They, they, don't, they can't do anything on their own they're small they're fragile i mean you need to do everything just to keep them alive basically that's what it feels like but god said i'm gonna be one of those i'm gonna come down and be one of those for not just a little bit not just for a weekend but for a long time that's how god did it like think about other ways that god could have saved the world like i'm just if you just if it was your plan how would you say right everyone falls into sin what's your solution how would you say let's fix it it probably wouldn't be what god did You'd probably be like, okay, well, we'll just like fix everybody and, you know, everybody, then everybody loves God and boom, now everybody's good, right? You'd probably come up with some way, but it wouldn't work. This was the only way that would work, but it's more amazing and marvelous than you could have ever thought. That the God who created the world, Jesus, who it says, upholds the universe by the word of his power, he comes down, condescends, takes on flesh, and becomes a baby and then lives a perfect life sinlessly, even though it says he's born under the law. That means he's born in a world where he needs to keep all the rules perfectly or you're doomed. I'm doomed. But he kept the rules. He exceeded the rules. He fulfilled all righteousness, Matthew 3. He did all those things. And that was God's plan. And now you know that, right? In the Old Testament, they didn't know it. They had hints and they had guesses and they had parts. I mean, they knew Isaiah 7, which says, you know, this person called God with us is gonna be born of a virgin. Like how does that even work? That's not even possible. How does that work? Oh well then in the New Testament what do we see? That's exactly how it works. Not only was he born of a young woman, just a, a girl, no, he's actually born of a actual virgin. Like that's that's impossible. It's a miracle. Exactly. And God did this all to fulfill his promises and his plans. It should blow your mind. And to think that you have any portion in it and that I have any portion in it is that much more amazing. First Peter 1 says even the angels when the Bible was written in the Old Testament, this is when the prophets were writing, they were writing about salvation and it's a thing this is First Peter 1 12. First Peter 1:12. 1 Peter 1:12 it says there are things that even the angels long to look into. And the angels look at it and say, "What are you doing, God? What is this plan?" Like they don't know the whole plan. That they're not, you know, omniscient. They don't know all things. They only know what God reveals, just like we know. Like, we know things as God reveals, and we don't know everything all the time. But it, like, impresses them. That's how God did it. That's why, by the way, in our passage, where it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, that this whole plan, this master plan, was to show the manifold wisdom of God, that it might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Do you remember who the rulers and authorities are? We already talked about this a couple times. Those are angels, right? So it's like... God's doing something with the church, which remember the church is made up of uh, you know, people like you and me, people who are not as impressive as the angels. And what is it meant to do? It's meant to show God's power to who? Who's the audience? The angels. It's like God's impressing the angels. And that's a weird perspective. You probably never thought like, I'm going to do some stuff today that's impressive to angels. They're going to look at it and say, wow, look at you. Right? We don't think like that. But Paul's saying, look, look, what God is doing is so impressive that even angels look at it and say, wow. That's amazing that God can redeem them, that God can take that sinful person who's not obedient, who's not righteous, and you can change that person, God, and you can turn that person into an evangelist. You can turn that person into a soul winner. That's amazing. God doesn't even do that with demons who fall. He doesn't do that with angels who fall, but he does it with us. It's amazing. It should blow your mind. This mystery, Colossians 1 says, was hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to the saints to them. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery. Colossians 1.27 says, which is Christ in you. What's the ultimate mystery? What's like the pinnacle? What's the top of the mountain? What's the most amazing thing about this whole plan? That Christ would be in you. Not just like in Israel, not just in the, the righteous people, not just in the temple. Not, no, that God would be in you? Gentile? Pagan? Non-Christian sinner, right? Like that—that that Christ would be in you—is that pot? That's that's the that's the most amazing part of the mystery, that Jesus would live with us. If that doesn't blow your mind, um, I guess there's a couple options. One of them is we're not thinking rightly about this. Two is that maybe we're spiritually blind to these realities and we don't see the the importance of any of this. But third is that we're just lazy. I think that's a lot of our problem. That sometimes we just get lazy. Once things are revealed to us and they amaze us once, we never go back and are amazed by them again. The gospel needs to be something you're constantly amazed by or else you're not going to be fulfilling God's mission for you like you need to be. Paul was so wrapped up in this that it's like, he says, I would do anything to be a part of this. That's why the other part of this text is all about his assignment, his ministry assignment. He says, this gospel, this mystery is so amazing, but you know, it's even more amazing for me that God includes me. And God selected me to be one who brings this message to other people. Now, you might look at this and say, well, that was true of Paul in a different way than me. And if you say that, you're right. You're good at reading the Bible, because you are not Paul, you are not an apostle, you are not the ultimate light to the Gentiles, you're not that, but you are one of many people that God is using today. You are being used by God today. If you're a Christian, you, this is your ministry assignment. To bring, just kind of like Paul did, to bring this message to the Gentiles. What's your assignment? Well, it's to bring the message of the gospel to people who don't know it and to people who've never trusted in Jesus. Maybe even to people who do know it but don't trust. Point number two, this is what Paul did and this is what we need to do. Step up to fulfill your ministry assignment. If you're a Christian, you need to step up to fulfill your ministry assignment. What assignment? The Bible says this assignment is to share God's truth with other people to share the gospel, the saving message. I hope that word gospel means something to you. I hope if someone asks you a question, what is the gospel, you could tell them. Best summary of the gospel I can give you is the one I gave at the beginning, that big plan. God made us. He's holy. He's righteous. We've sinned. And so on. That's the gospel. In Acts 8, 9, you see Paul getting called out of his old life into to preach the gospel now it happened very miraculously it happened in a different way than how you were saved perhaps and that's true um, but ever from ever since that moment his life was about something different there's a key to all this and i want to show this to you in a, f- a few passages but i want you to write down this key real quick i didn't make this a sermon point but it's three simple words if you're going to do this three simple words They're very important, they're very theological. I'm gonna give you three words. You ready for the three words? Here's the key, three words. You ready? I I need you to be ready, okay, you ready? Okay, good, that was a little gimmicky, sorry. Uh, Here's the three words. If you are gonna do this, you need to get, see your writing, over, okay, second word, Right? you ready, get over, the last one, you're gonna love this. Number three, yourself. Get over yourself. Now, I did that dramatically because that felt harsh coming out. But, like, think about it. If you are going to have your life be about this mission, those three words will probably be the most important words that you need to tell yourself over and over again. Get over yourself. Okay, so here's what I mean. Some people will tell you that the reason God exists is for you and to make you happy. Here's what the book of Ephesians says. It's the other way around. The reason you exist is for God. Okay. So if we get that flipped and mistaken and somehow think that the reason God is there is just to help us and be there for us, although it's true that he is there for us and that he is helpful to us, that's true, but that's not the purpose of our existence. The purpose of our existence is for him. So part of even becoming a Christian and just repenting for the first time is getting over yourself. Get over yourself. Here's what I mean. Um, if you're afraid to share the gospel, three words: get over yourself. Get over yourself. It's not about you. Did you think it was about you? Did you at any point did you think this was about you sharing the gospel? Well, but f- friends will probably not like me if I share. Get over yourself. It wasn't. It wasn't about you. Was it about you? Was this all about you? Oh wow! This is all about you. I didn't know that the world. No, it's not about you. It's not about me. If you're self-conscious or you think, man, the way I share, maybe I just will say something wrong. Maybe maybe I'll, I'll make a mistake. Three words. Get over yourself. What does that mean? Well, do the best you can. It's not about you. Stop being so hypercritical of how it went and think, oh, man, that didn't go well. I'm never going to do that again. Get over yourself. Three words. Get over yourself. If you're someone who thinks I'm too busy, I've got too many things to do. Well, guess what? Three words. Get over yourself yourself what are you doing that is so much more important than that what 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 schoolwork are you doing that is just is so important that it's more important than, than eternal souls and what God is doing and God's mystery what, what's more oh is it your athletics is that more important so you can never share the God see the thing is we're none of us are too busy right we say that's an excuse you, you use any other excuse you have other than I'm not a Christian and I don't know the gospel. That's a, that's a different story, right? I'm talking specifically to those of you who are Christians and you know the gospel. Any excuse you can give, I want you to use those three words. Are they on your page? Are they written down? I have them in all capital letters here on my thing. Is it? Did you guys all write that out? Get over yourself, right? And I always say that partially jokingly, but I do want those to be on your sheet because I want you to think those will be some helpful guiding words when you face temptation to say, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. Three words, get over yourself. I told you I'd take you to some passages. I want you to write these down. I don't need you to turn there. I'm gonna read them, but these are all statements that the Apostle Paul made about himself and his life. And I want you to hear how he talks about his life, okay? So get your pens ready. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Acts 20, 24. Paul says, I do not account my life to be of any value, nor as precious to me, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify. It means to share the gospel of the grace of God. Okay. Um, is he suicidal? No. But he says, you know how much my life is worth to me? Nothing. If it's separated from my mission. The mission is what's most important. I don't care. What happens to me? That's what Paul says. Galatians 1.10. Listen to this. Galatians 1.10. Paul says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? He's saying, is that why I'm preaching? Because I want to impress people? He says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant or minister of God. I just wouldn't do that anymore. I couldn't be. If I'm a servant of God, my mission is not to please man or to tell people how great they are or to say, wow, I mean, God's just amazing. He just has so much for you that's amazing and perfect. And oh yeah, sin, well, don't worry about that. I mean, I'm sure, that, I'm sure that'll be taken care of. I'm sure you're probably not that bad of a person. No, the, the message is very clear. And he says, I've got no other choice. Is my message and my mission about pleasing people? It's not. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I died. I'm dead. My life is over. My old life, that is. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. My life is not about me anymore, but it's about Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, in this body, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Three words, get over yourself. Paul is the perfect example of a guy who got over himself. His life wasn't about him anymore. It wasn't about making himself happy. It wasn't about being fulfilled. It wasn't about being successful. It wasn't about being admired or liked. It wasn't about that anymore. The Bible keeps going. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. 1 Timothy 1, 15-17. Here's what Paul says: The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. I'm the greatest sinner, is what he says. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Three words, get over yourself it's not about him anymore. See what he's saying. It's like it's all about God. It's not about him. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9. Listen to what Paul says about himself again. There's other passages too. These are just some of them. 1 Corinthians 15 9. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Remember that about Paul? Before he was a Christian, he was an opponent He wasn't just someone who sat on the sidelines and said, okay, yeah, you guys do you. No, 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 he was actively opposing him. He was a zealous persecutor of the church. Verse 10, 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says, but by the grace of God, I now am what I am, which is not that worst sinner anymore. He's an apostle now. And his grace towards me was not in vain. It's not like God showed me this grace, gave me this assignment, and then I blew it. Then I gave up. And I said, No, God, no, it was not in vain what he gave me. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Of them is talking about the other apostles Peter, James, John. Paul's saying, and this might sound boastful, he says, I, I'm, I've been working for these last years harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that's in me, right? It's God empowered him to do all this stuff. Three words what are they? Get over yourself. Now, that might sound mean, that might sound harsh, but can I tell you, that's the best advice I can give you about living the Christian life, that's my advice, That's not from scripture, I can give you scripture that's better than that, right, those are just my three words, get over yourself, I want you to say those things to yourself all the time, right, I'm afraid to show the God, get over yourself, get over yourself, it's not about you, it's about the message, it's about the people, it's about God, oh, I don't know if I can obey God, it's going to be too hard, get over yourself. It's not about you anymore, right? See, this is what Christians do. That's why the first sermon we preached, you remember the first sermon? Luke 9, 23? If anyone wishes to come after Jesus, what do you have to do? Pick up your cross daily and follow him. Get ready to die. Deny yourself. Say, it's not about me anymore. It's to get over yourself. That's the first step. And even becoming a Christian, right? And as a Christian, that's a constant daily step we have to say, deny myself. It's not about me, it's about God. Well, what's your ministry assignment? Three texts that I'd love for you to write down. Three passages. One of them is Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. You might know that passage. It's the passage where Jesus sent out the disciples and said, now your job is to go make disciples. Go take people who don't follow me and turn them into followers of me. Make disciples of all the nations. And right before that, Jesus says something really important. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So if you're ever concerned or worried that you might talk to somebody, and maybe they don't know God, and maybe they don't believe in God, and I couldn't talk to them because they don't believe in God. Well, guess what Jesus says? He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Guess what that means? He is the universal Lord of everyone. He's the creator of all. So any person you talk to falls under that domain. So it's a person that you can talk to. All authority. How long? He says, behold, I am with you always in this task until the end of the age. Until the church age, until it all gets wrapped up, until Jesus comes back and says, I'm with you in this assignment, in this mission. That's your job. That's not just their job. It's not just my job. It's your job too. It's not just your leaders. It's not just your parents. It's not just your smugglers, It's not just the pastor. It's your job too if you're a Christian. Second passage. Second Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. Very similar. Listen to what he says here. This is Paul talking again. He says, all of this is from God, who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. And then he gave us the ministry or the assignment of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, giving us the ministry of reconciliation. What is he saying? God's whole point in all of this was to get you and him to be in a relationship. Now what's your role? He gave you an assignment. He entrusted you with something. What is it? The ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, this is the last verse here, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God, making his appeal through us. So when you share the gospel, who's speaking? Well, you are, right? But if you're sharing the gospel... Who's behind you? And who's speaking through you? God, the creator, the designer of the world, the everlasting God, the creator of all the ends of the earth. Who's speaking through you? Jesus Christ, his son, the one who lived, died, bled, atoned for your sin. He speaks through you. The spirit who takes those words and illuminates people's minds. Which, by the way, in the passage, Paul says, my job is to do two things, to preach to the Gentiles and to enlighten everyone. Right? Evangelize and enlighten. Those are the two like verbs in Ephesians 3, the passage we looked at, our main passage. Those are the two things he says my job are his ministry assignment, to evangelize, to share the truth, and to enlighten people, right? to, to tell people they can be saved, and then to show everybody what God's salvation plan is. Two things. Paul also says this, Colossians one28 and 29. Last passage, I want you to write down for this point. Colossians 1, 28, 29 says, him we proclaim. Talking about Jesus. We, we tell people about Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's why our task is not as simple as dropping a gospel track on someone's door. Although that's a good thing. That's not the extent of this task. The extent of this task is not you saying, hey, why don't you come to church with me? It's a good step, but that's not the extent of this task. It's not even this. It's not even to getting someone to the place where they get saved. That's not the fullness of the task. That's the beginning. I mean, imagine this. Imagine you had someone from school that you can think of right now that you know like, oh, this person's not saved. They need to get saved. And then you share the gospel with them. They say, I want to follow Jesus. they with you right there. They pray and they ask God to save them. And God saves them. And now they start coming to church, and they're serving, and they're doing all this stuff. Do you know that even that beginning part is not the fullness of what Paul's saying? What does he say? I want to present everyone mature in Christ. It's not enough just even for them to be saved. That's the first step. But after that, it's like you want everything to be about getting every last person here mature and ready to follow Christ. And by the way, that's one of my main focuses. This passage right here is one of the passages that I, as a pastor, take the heart for you. I want to present every one of you mature. Not just people who know about God, but I want you to be mature and ready to tell other people. I want you to be competent to disciple or to lead other people to know God. That's what I want every person to leave this ministry. Everyone who's a Christian, I want them to do this. Colossians 1.28. Here's the problem. Paul's in jail and everybody's thinking, well, Paul, you're in jail though. So are you doing a good job? Is God stopping you? I don't know if I want to do this. Point number three from verse 13, he says, don't lose heart. Another way to put that, point number three, don't be discouraged when Christians suffer. Don't be discouraged when other Christians suffer. Because here's the reality. If we all start doing this, many of you will suffer for this. You will be excluded for this. People will not hang out with you anymore. And one of the temptations that always faces the church and will face you, if you start to see other people be faithful to what we're saying here, and then they'll miss out on things. And they lose things, and people exclude them. You will be tempted to say, "This, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to be ex- as extreme as they were. May- maybe I can, maybe I can, um, like share this with them, but they won't get mad at me. I'll figure out a way to do that. I'll figure out the best way I can, to where like you know I might have to talk about God, but but I'll, I'll be really brief." And I'll I'll mainly just emphasize that God loves. And I won't really say that, but we have a problem with God. And maybe, maybe if I say it that way, maybe they won't exclude me like they excluded the other Christians. There's a big temptation for you. In fact, I'd say of every group in our church, if you're talking to the old people, if you're talking to the kids, if you're talking to the college students, if you're talking to any group, I think that is the biggest temptation for true north. That's your biggest temptation, even more than your parents'. Temptation for them, but I think it's even a bigger temptation for you, to adjust the message somehow, and say I'll just make it fit in with the world, with what the world wants. The gospel, by the way, has never ever fit in with what the world wants. In fact, the times that it did fit in with what the world wants, guess what? It was a distorted gospel. I could take you to some times in church history where it really fit in to be a Christian, and guess what happened? Everyone would call themselves Christians. There's no righteousness. There's no holiness. There's no purity. There's no striving after godliness. That was, that was rare. Don't be discouraged when Christians suffer. Paul puts it like this, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me in being put in jail has really served to advance the gospel instead of hinder the gospel. Because you might think, okay, Paul's in jail. That hinders the progress of the gospel. He says, no, no, no. What happened to me, like, you don't even understand. The fact that I got put in jail, the gospel has gone further than it would have otherwise. It says, so that it has become known throughout the entire imperial guard, like all these important soldiers. Imagine this, these very important Roman soldiers and jailers, guess what they all know now? They all know that Paul, this guy, is in jail for Christ. They would not have known that if this wasn't God's plan. Paul trusts God, even though it looks like it's a setback. Even when it looks like, oh man, it's a huge setback. Now we can't do evangelism. No, he says, no in our failure and in our weakness and in our being put aside and imprisonment, guess what, now even more people know. It says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold now to speak the word without fear. They look at Paul and say, well, Paul's in jail. Is this this a loss? It looks like a failure. It looks like losing. No, no, it's actually not losing. And because Paul was in jail, and because he was sharing the gospel in jail, guess what it did to everyone else in the church? It lit a fire underneath them, and they started doing it too. So when Christians suffer for sharing the gospel, it shouldn't stop you. It should stoke the fire underneath you to keep going. That even through things that seem like losses, God is winning. The problem is, I think, for a lot of us, we, we don't actually take this seriously, and one of the per- verses that comes to mind is Romans 1.16, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. Do you understand what he's saying? I'm not ashamed of this message. I can go into a town, I cannot know anybody, I'm not ashamed of this. If there were some way to be able to test our ashamedness of the gospel, right? where, where do you land if there was a, I don't know, a bar above your head where it could be totally green or, you know, red, like a health monitor for a video game or something, if that was to be able to go above your head about your ashamed, how ashamed you are of the gospel, where are you? Are you in the green? Are you, t- are you totally unashamed, just like Paul? Full strength, or are a lot of you living on, like, empty? And you hide the fact you're a Christian. And you purposefully, even when you wear clothing items that have your church, do you cover it up? Do you, do you try to like not wear certain things because you're afraid that maybe a, you know people will think I'm a Christian, or I don't want to say things about God, or talk about church, or when people ask what I do on Wednesday night, I, I kind of avoid the subject because I don't want I don't want to start the conversation about going to church. Is that where you live? I think if you're honest, many of you are squarely in that. Others of you are not. See, the thing is, many of you are unashamed of the gospel. Some of you might fall somewhere in the between, but some of you are, are on fire, and you don't care who knows. And it's fine. And, and you, like Paul, don't account your life of any value if, as long as you're obeying the mission that God has for you. Paul told Timothy once when he was in jail, in 2 Timothy, it was not the imprisonment in Philippians and Colossians. That's the same thing, right? But the end of Paul's life, He's in prison again, and this time he's not getting out. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 8, Paul tells Timothy, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor be ashamed of of me, his prisoner. Um, Some of you might be less ashamed of the gospel, but you might be ashamed of the other Christians who are with you, who suffer for Christ, and you wince at what they say. You say, oh, they shouldn't have shared the gospel. Oh, they shouldn't have done that. Oh, I don't want to be associated with that person. Some of you do that, too. There's Christians at your school. There's people, you know, some of you got True North Campus Clubs, and you're ashamed to even go there because you're ashamed, right? Paul says, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, but share in suffering. Join them. Like, literally, and that sounds weird, but... if you had a Bible study at school, I know this is getting very specific and this is not a real situation, but what if you had a Bible study at school and everybody knew about it and everybody made fun of you for it and you have to decide, am I going to join it or am not going to join it? Right? That's kind of like what it was to be a Christian in this day. right? This is saying, don't be ashamed of those people. Don't be ashamed of their message. In fact, share in suffering. Go, go and sit down with them. Join them. Suffer with them if that's what it's going to be. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Which again, he reminds us, by the power of God who saved us and called us into a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Or, or this is all just a fairy tale to you. This is all just kind of lives in your head in this little segmented part of your life. When you go to church and think about it, but then the rest of your life is real life or it's not real to you, this is real to you, then you have to say, I have to be like Paul then. I gotta be more unashamed. I, I can't care what people think. Sharing the gospel, standing up like Paul did is a win-win. I don't know if you ever thought about that. It's a win-win to share the gospel. It's a lose-lose not to. Here's why. If you share the gospel, and people embrace it, and someone gets saved, guess what? That's a win, right? Obviously. Obviously. Luke 15 says, you know, even angels rejoice before God if a sinner repents. That's a win. Um, It's also, by the way, did you know the Bible says it's it's a win if people reject you and mistreat you and slander you and say things about you that are nasty that aren't true. Jesus said this in Matthew 5.11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So guess what? It's a win if you share the gospel and people embrace it. Guess what? It's also a win for you if you get rejected. It's a win. You don't think like that though, right? Some of us think I'm only going to share the gospel if I'm confident that the person I'm talking to is interested and will listen and will definitely get saved. It's like, we can't do that. That's not God's assignment. I wish that was God's assignment. Be make things easier sometimes, but that's not God's assignment for us. It's a win-win. It's a lose-lose not to. Here's some reasons why. It's a lose if you don't share the gospel because, one, a person can't be saved without hearing this message. You realize that, right? A person's not gonna get saved by looking at your life and saying, oh, they're a really nice person. There must be something different about them. Right? That's the start that needs to be there, that's an on-road, but that's not the saving message, right? You need that and the saving message. Romans 10, 14 says, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Answer, you can't. It's also a lose, by the way. This is the one we don't think about so much. It's a lose if you go your whole life and you never suffer for Christ. That's a loss for you. It's a big loss. We don't usually think about that, but you you won't be rewarded if you don't suffer. Romans 8 says, if we're children of God, then we're heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. No suffering. Life's easy as a Christian. Nobody opposes you. Scary. The Bible says that if you're a Christian and you stand up for him, you're probably going to have to suffer. Not probably, you will suffer in some way, even if it's small, even if it's just rejection, even if it's just exclusion. It's a win-win to share the gospel. It's a lose-lose not to. Here's one example of a win-win. Last night, the Padres beat the Dodgers. That was a win-win, okay? (laughs) Who's a Dodger fan in here? Any Dodger fans? No, your dad's a Dodger fan. That's what it is. You're not a Dodger fan unless you're an adult over, like, 30, or if your parents are Dodger fans. That's one thing I've noticed about this area, right? Because, like, you, uh, your parents are Dodger fans. Your parents are Dodger fans. Okay, fine. You came from L.A. You can be a Dodger fan. Whatever, Demi. Because um, that's the thing. You have to be, like, from L.A. to be, like, a like, legit Dodger fan. Or your, or your parents are Dodger fans. It was a win-win last night. Sorry, Dodger fans. But uh, having the Padres win, did you, did you watch any of that game? It was pretty exciting. It was electric in there, man. Peco Park was wild. It started raining. It got all exciting. There were, guys were like getting all crazy. It looked like a, I don't know, like a soccer game in Europe is what it looked like in there. It was, it was wild. Here's why it was a win-win because nobody likes the Dodgers and everyone likes the Padres, right? That's just unless those Padres turn out like the Astros or something and they're cheating or something. I'm, I don't, I don't want to say that, right? Because I hope they're good, but. You know, everybody liked the Astros, too, and so they started uh, hitting trash cans and uh, stealing signs and such. But that's how I felt. I, I actually kind of watched a lot of sports yesterday. There was a, a few games. Um, my family comes from Alabama, so we were upset um, with the Tennessee game. Um, I'm a Yankee fan, and that was sad last night. Um, if anybody watches uh, the Zozo Classic, that's a golf tournament. Ricky Fowler totally choked. Um, it was just a bad day for sport. I was like a lot of disappointments, but the one bright spot, the Dodgers are out and the Padres advance. That's a win-win. Although there's a lot, I said there was a lot of sports yesterday, but I did nothing sport related yesterday other than watch some sports here and there. I was not playing in the game, right? It's a win-win to share the gospel, like I said, and we're not just spectators in this. The nice thing is we are playing in the game. We need to play in the game. You have the opportunity this week to share the truth with people who've never heard it before, to share with them the mystery of God that has been hidden for ages but is now revealed, and your life mission from this point forward can be all about this. That's what God would have us do, and and that would be the most fulfilling, satisfying life that you could possibly live. You live it for his glory. Let's pray that he would help us do that. God, we're thankful that your word gives us such clarity about the truth. I ask that through this sermon and through what we're studying this morning, Ephesians chapter 3, that you would get us excited about sharing the truth. Pray that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, nor ashamed of the people who are sharing the gospel. I pray that we'd stand shoulder to shoulder with everyone else who is sharing the truth about you. We would be unashamed to keep company with them. Pray ultimately that as a result of this sermon and our response to it, that you be glorified and praised in ways that you've never been before at this group. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.